What's up, Slow Drip listeners? This is your host, Zach. And Matt. And we have an exciting announcement. CisternaCoffeeCo.com is officially up and running. We are live. And everything is in stock. Uh, We've got our mugs ready to ship. Right in time for Christmas. Today's date is December the 7th. Um, So everything is ready for you to go. Um, Bolivian coffee's in stock. Thai coffee's in stock. Everything's freshly roasted. Coffee mugs, decals. Uh, This has been a long time coming. The site is beautiful and uh, ready to go. So... Wherever you're joining us on the Slow Drip journey, whether it's episode one or the end of the season, take a minute and go check out our new website and store and uh, pick up some coffee just in time for the holidays. Buenos dias! Bienvenido a Podcast Slow Drip. Yo soy Mateo y con mi siempre wait, Zach. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, hold on. Okay. Now you're good. Your mic was set to Spanish. Oh, okay. We good now? Yep. What's up, guys? Thanks for joining us today. Um, what are we even talking about? Well, we're talking about supply chain. Oh, yeah. want to do a quick brushstroke over fair trade versus direct trade so that we can talk a little bit more about why we do direct trade coffee versus fair trade. And then dive right into uh, what, uh, what it takes to bring coffee from the other parts of the world to middle Georgia so that we can roast it. And bring it, bag it, and tag it. Bag it and tag it. Roast it, bag it, tag it. Yep. So that's what I wanted to talk about. Just very briefly talk about fair trade and then spend five, uh, ten minutes, you and I both talking about direct trade, what it means to us. That you've got some good perspectives coming in on that, Mm -hmm. coming into uh, Cisterna. With a, you inherited the direct trade model, but I don't think that you mind it. Um, I do not. And then share a little bit of what it takes to bring coffee in. Because we are right in the middle of bringing coffee in from Bolivia. So I'll talk a little bit about the first consignment. Because for some reason it's not updating. What is it? I just had imported over. What are you doing? I'm collecting strawberries for Vera and her Osmo. All right, the coffee's ready. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. I'm ready to drink some. Ten four. Don't go. Oh, I poured a full cup. Sorry, Matt. Naturally processed heirloom variety with a sweet acidity and soft body. What is Rambutan? 
Remitan is like a stone fruit, but it, uh, it grows in Southeast Asia. And it's also, I think, in the States, known as lychee. So it's kind of got a mild, sweet... Uh, if you get lychee fruit from Thailand, they're the ones that they... About the size of a cutie orange. Um, there's a single pit inside, but the outside husk is like blood red and spiky. So it looks like a really big, uh, sweet gumball. And then you split it in half, and inside is this, like, white, mild, sweet fruit. It's kind of got a real clean, honey-like flavor to it. So, Well, that's not one of the tasting notes in the coffee that we're trying now. No, because oh. we're, not, we're not drinking tight, yeah. <laughs> you looked at the wrong bag. We're drinking airship coffee for this episode. You know, I didn't know that this was Ethiopian until just now. Mm-hmm. Whenever, I, whenever you opened the bag and I smelled it, I thought the first thing I thought was it smells like an Ethiopian. Yep. What is an heirloom variety? So like like an heirloom tomato. So it's kind of an old world um, Arabica variety that has been preserved in Ethiopia. Mm. So it's one of the... Well, it is exceptional. Mm-hmm. So um, heirloom varieties are what a lot of the modern Arabicas would have come from after genetic development. Well, Airship, you nailed it. Um, I ate some of your coffee beans. Mm, that's good. Yeah, it's really good. And I immediately got, got the blueberry. It is definitely floral. I don't know that I get chocolate, though. I think a lot of tasting notes have chocolate or cocoa uh, in them as another adjunct way to talk about roasty flavors. Mm-hmm. But as a medium roast, you know, what you really want to be tasting in is like a fruit forward um, kind of blueberry or jam berry or, you know, apple, all those different flavor profiles that we've talked about before. Uh, but yeah, definitely, it's a floral, and I get the blueberry noting as well. And it is naturally processed, not mm-hmm. washed processed. So it's one, again, Ethiopia is one of those regions that can really sustain natural processed coffees because it's more arid, and you need lower humidity for natural processing. We talked about on another episode. Actually, the last episode. On the last episode, we did talk about that. So um, if you're looking for artisan coffees, if you find one from Ethiopia, odds are it will be naturally processed. So the whole coffee cherry roasted or dried in the sun and then dehulled from there. So it it retains more of that uh, silver skin and kind of a a smoother, brighter uh, finish. I think that Ethiopian is slowly becoming my go-to. Ethiopian coffees are mm-hmm. definitely, they're, they're up there. They have more, I find that Ethiopian coffees do have kind of a more punchy citrus uh, flavor profile. Uh, they tend to be a little bit brighter. Um, and this even says, you know, sweet acidity and soft body to it. So, I mean... It's a good one to be go to. I loved Ethiopians for a long time, and then kind of went back to Central American coffees that um, 
It's kind of what I prefer now. Um, like El Salvador, Nicaragua, Honduras, um, some of those varieties. But like you said, Airship nailed this one. It's a really good yeah. Ethiopian coffee. And another thing, too, that I noticed. Did you notice that the beans are super consistent? Mm-hmm. They're all painted the same color. I suppose so. That's one way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about supply chain and importing today. Okay. Um, we're in the process currently of importing a consignment of 500 kilos of coffee from Bolivia from our friend Francisco Mamani. And... You used to always call him Monami. I know. Well, I knew that you would, you would uh, say something if I said Monami. So I still said something. You I didn't know. even say it. I know. So, um, but his coffee is grown in Buena Vista, which is about two hours north of Santa Cruz. West. No, San Jose is west. Buena Vista is north. In the episode where with Jim and Walter we're talking, and you said, "Where are we?" And he um, said, "We're due west." You're right. You are right. But Buena Vista is two hours north. Of okay, I recant my statement. In the foothills of the Andes, and Buena Vista coffee has a really unique uh, growing microclime. There's a uh, natural park rainforest that is um, right up to the, uh, the the coffee growers grow right up to the edge of this rainforest, and the rainforest provides. Uh, an interesting microclime that provides more moisture throughout the year and it's a cooler environment and when we were in Buena Vista the, the weather was beautiful. That was awesome. Um, cool and drizzly most days and so perfect for, for gr growing this kind of coffee and so um, we're going to give you the ins and outs of what it takes to bring that here to the states and talk about a little bit of why we do direct trade practices. Yeah. And, you know, the microcon that you're talking about, it kind of fur further proves your point of it's not necessarily the the elevation itself. Right. Because that's some, that's some really good coffee. Right. It is a low-end coffee, but like we talked about in the, the uh, cultivation episode with, you know, coffee-growing climates, uh, you typically do find the ideal climate for growing coffee at higher elevations but like with this coffee in Buena Vista it's sort of a unique microclime just to the area that keeps it cooler and and more damp and um, and just kind of an all-around perfect little petri dish of coffee growing in that area so when we bring it to the states because we're deep into the process now we're excited to be able to to bring it to cisterna and hopefully have it available very soon well let's talk let's talk about direct trade versus fair trade mm -hmm. first right so <coughs> I guess maybe fair trade first so fair trade was sort of a, a trendy buzzword 10 15 years ago that that was the um the model and it's what a lot of uh, artisan boutique coffees were uh, kind of advertising that they were they were fair trade and, and I think 
I can't say specifically which country, so I'll just go ahead and say that um, the Fair Trade Alliance came out of Europe originally, and the the original goals were very altruistic to be able to uh, invest in um, cultivation communities uh, like coffee cultivation around the world in ways that would allow them to um, impact the local community for good in in better ways, and so. Um, the way that it started out was just going into these communities and kind of establishing a baseline for pricing that was artificial. It was kind of an artificially established baseline pricing by the West, but it was above what the market value would be for those coffees in the local community. And the altruistic goal from the start was that... Um, you would be able to provide uh, a higher wage for the the workers at the coffee farms and plantations and um, also kind of keep an eye out for you know growing practices cultivation practices and um, more I think it was really kind of aimed originally for kind of preventing child labor uh, exploitation and those sorts of things so yeah when fair trade started out it really was you know, intentional for good, but uh, I think what we've seen over the years is that it, it's a kind of an artificial construct. And um, when you have these kind of fair trade produ- coffee producing areas, there's an established wage and an established, you know, price for the coffee, and it doesn't really vary from that. Um, and so what we're doing at Cisterna is focusing more on direct trade which we're able to bring all of the the high quality value that comes along with fair trade that comes with fair trade but we're doing it in a more personal way because we're going to these coffee growing communities we're making relationships we're we're building friendships and and really getting to know the community ourselves so that we're we're choosing to invest in coffee producers that you know are you know producing really good coffee, but they're also doing it in a really good way, uh, biological or organic, um, but without, you know, child labor. And so we can do all of those things, but we also kind of have the value added of building relationships. Um, and we're able to also, you know, bring a higher, higher price to the coffees as well. So kind of keeping, keeping all the good parts of fair trade, but following some of the fluctuation year to year if we need to with um, pricing so it's not artificial because you you could have a coffee producer that's kind of in a fair trade region that's producing an exceptional coffee Mm -hmm. and you know they kind of have to fall under whatever the established price at the fair trade I know cap is and so um, this way we're able to you know, be boots on the ground and assess for ourselves and, you know, kind of on a case-by-case basis figure out how, how to best work with the local communities. What would you say the, what would you say the price difference is between the fair trade cap? Because, I mean, we paid, we, we, we paid a little more over. We paid a premium for the, the Bolivian, and we, we paid a premium for the Thai coffee that we 
was brought in as well. Um, <clears throat> I would think that, and I'd have to look at, at kind of what the you know the current pricing trends are for the the current crops of coffee that are coming out of South America, Central America, and Southeast Asia right now. I don't have those metrics in front of me, but I think that we're able to even provide higher than the the fair trade pricing for the coffee that, that you know we're purchasing on a direct trade model. Um, so, yeah, and and that again, like we we'll we'll talk a little bit more of of that as far as like why we chose direct trade over fair trade in the sense that we prefer to do business by building relationships and getting to know our producers and our growers and um, you know sitting down and having coffee with them like we did with Francisco mm -hmm. you know at, at his house in, in uh, Buena Vista and you know seeing the whole you know being there and seeing his roaster and seeing where you know he's warehousing his coffee uh, that he sold to us and um, and then like we sat down with Jim and Walter and got to know them and you know what are the challenges and you know it's a journey it's a it's a process and it's something that we're walking through with them you know Jim had a great harvest last season and then it just wasn't you know there were some issues in, in processing and so you know we can come alongside and we can lament and kind of mourn those losses but also encourage and, and be there and see you know, what's coming in the next season. And so like when we were in Bolivia and walking through Jim's plantation and you know tasting ripe cherries coming straight off of the coffee tree. Um, that was pretty cool. Yeah, so that's, that's one of the things that you know, we wanna be able to do with, with direct trade. And then I think a big part of it is just the community impact as well of, like we you know, have said, getting to know you know, the locals and, and, and what are their needs, but then also, you know, with those relationships and, and particularly like in Thailand, um, <coughs> being able to make connections with, you know, our, our missionary contacts and these coffee producers as well. And kind of that, that other value added side of, you know, seeing, seeing the impact and seeing the, you know, what we're doing and why um, we're investing in communities. I think if you want to put it in a nutshell, that's that's why we do direct trade. Is it it gives us a, a greater opportunity to invest in community. I like that we know specifically where the coffee comes from too. Well, and two, like we get to be a little more analytical in what we're bringing in, because not only is it a a good practice, mm -hmm. direct trade, but it's exceptional coffee, and we get to be a little more. What what would you call that? Selective, yeah. uh, analytical, um, being being there and and you know tasting tasting the the coffee cherries before they're processed, being there to to see, you know, the, the whole process as it, it goes along from, from harvest to green coffee. Um, and it does, it, 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 it opens our, it opens the door for us to be able to provide some really, really unique, uh, niche coffees, uh, that, that you wouldn't find in other, other roasters or, you know, other shops around 
the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's another really good part of it for us too, is, is to be able to bring in some really unique, different coffee varieties um, as well. Uh, it it does have its cost. Like if if <laughs> if I was giving business advice to someone else and jumping right into uh, starting a coffee roasting business, you know, I don't know if I would recommend it um, right out of the gate. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it. A lot more work and, well, financially too. Right. I mean, there's a lot more investment and a lot more work. I mean, we just, you know, zip down to Bolivia for 10 days and um, we're there and investing in the lives of of the producers of the coffee that we're we're bringing into the States. So there's that, that cost, you know, travel cost and then, you know, we really want to kind of talk about for a little bit on on today's episode is just kind of the ins and outs of what it takes to bring coffee make this happen yeah um and uh and bring it into the states and import it so uh when we brought the the thai coffee in from thailand the last consignment was you know a thousand kilos 2200 pounds um and we went with a global shipper that allowed us to kind of be a little more hands-off. They handle a lot more of the whole practice from soup to nuts um, after we were there and we were with the, the producers and, you know, we came up with a good business deal that was beneficial for them and beneficial for us. And then we kind of handed the reins over to this other global shipper and they, they came in after and made sure that everything was palletized the right way and packaged the right way and so now this time around, we've got a little more experience and we know, I wouldn't say we know what we're doing a hundred percent, but <laughs> have a better idea. we have a better idea of, of what it takes to, to get this done. There have um, still been some hurdles um, on a global, and every country is different. We'll talk about some of the things that are still kind of popping off in Bolivia in just a minute. Um, but uh, um, really, so from the very beginning of the supply chain process, if we start there what we're really talking about is coffee has been processed and now we have green coffee beans and our producer our suppliers are bagging them in 50 kilo bags or 60 kilo bags depending on the the area and um, we'll talk more probably in the next episode when we talk about roasting that because coffee is a worldwide thing there's not really a single standard. So when we say 50 kilo bags or 60 kilo bags, it really depends on you know where you are in the world um, as far as your producer or your roaster. Mm-hmm. Um, those are kind of the two sides. But really, when we talk supply chain here and we're doing specifically direct trade, we're talking about from the bag green coffee to the roaster. That's the the step in the, the process of farm to cup that we're talking about right now. Um, and so for us right now, this Bolivian coffee that we're working on, on bringing in, um, hopefully very soon in the next couple of weeks, it's bagged. Uh, we, we saw it in Bolivia. Um, and so it's going to be put Even in unbagged some of it, some of it. Well, we opened one of them to, to do a, a roast as well. Um, but, uh, so it's, it's bagged in 50 kilo bags. It's, it's triple bagged within uh, a burlap bag kind of outer. Um, for international shipping purposes, every single bag has to be labeled the same way. 
with the region, the producer, the country. And so then all of that gets palletized and wrapped in plastic and put on a pallet ready to be shipped. And then from there, we turn it over to export agents who uh, work with local shipping companies, this, in this case Bolivia, to connect the dots between Bolivia and the states. And you know, at first I was kind of, I won't say leery, or I was unsure of who we had selected for our, but after we met them, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm sure glad that we decided to go with them. Yeah, the connections that we made. And so a um, huge shout out to our friends at Bolivia Ag- Bolivian AgroTrade. Uh, they're our export agents down in Santa Cruz. And these guys, they know what they're doing. They know how to move, you know, agricultural products all over South America. And they're helping us connect the dots to, you know, airship this uh, consignment of half a ton of coffee to the States. And so what they're going to do is they're going to come in and they're working with our producer right now to make sure that everything is above board and all of the right paperwork is submitted for the Bolivian uh, customs agencies. Um, Bolivia is one of those countries that is like kind of, if, <coughs> if you think about like the height of bureaucracy, you know, like almost to the point of like comical, like <laughs> you, like double and triplicate, you know, duplicate, triplicate stamps of, of everything. And then, and they're going to check something again. And, um, and so, you know, right now, what our uh, export agents are working with uh, Francisco is to make sure that um, the the agricultural inspection agencies in Bolivia, which is kind of like the um, Bolivian counterpoint to the FDA, is going to go in and look at and inspect Francisco's facility, make sure that everything is clean and good, which it is. Um, so we, we don't expect any issues. Um, because Francisco knows his stuff. He's been in the coffee business for 20 long, years. Long time. Um, so all of his practices are, are spot on. Um, but they're going to go in and rubber stamp all of that, make sure everything's good. Then they take the palletized bags and take it to Santa Cruz to kind of be in queue for shipment. And then you know the Bolivian authorities are going to inspect it again, make sure that you know there aren't any... you know banana spiders sneaking in like <laughs> you always hear about that is like the banana spiders that hopped into some bunch of bananas from central america and now they're they're in the u.s so it's kind of custom agencies on both sides of the border both sides of this sale are going to be inspecting our product before we ever take possession of it uh, and so when all of that's checked off and rubber stamped and all of the paperwork is submitted in triplicate and and signed and dated and ready to go. <coughs> then our coffee will be loaded onto a, a plane and uh, be flown up to Miami. And then uh, we've got another set of uh, agents that work with us here in the States. And there are customs agents on this side. And they basically work with us to kind of walk the, the consignment through FDA inspection and, and clearing customs here in the states, and you know, paying the duties that we you know we have to pay duty to to import something and all of that. So they're helping us handle that as well, 
and then we'll take possession of it and drive it up and get it in the roaster. I'm going to be interested to see how we fit all those bags of coffee in my truck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun, though. It's going to be, it, well, again, it's like um, I, the adult version of Tetris, you know, to mm. kind of think about how to, to get it all loaded in there and, and bring it up. Um, See, Mom. Yep. There was a reason I played video games. That's right. Your problem-solving skills. They're uh, paying off now, it's baby. Paying off now. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, that side of it. But, you know, so... Hang on. <coughs> Let's wait for this. Is it a train? I think so. So just from from that kind of brief description of kind of all of the hoops that are lined up for us to jump through at Cisterna to, to bring coffee in in a direct trade way, uh, you can see why, you know, it, it's... It's not 100% a headache, but it's a different tier of stuff that we have to, to handle and manage. Uh, and and we, we chose from the beginning to, to take things on that way versus... Oh, and, and you're right. It is extra work, but I would rather do it this way. Just well, and for the, the whole standpoint of, like, why Cisterna even exists, mm-hmm. like, we, we paid a premium for that coffee and like that has a I didn't realize how big of an impact that actually has right on that community right because that is essentially like I did the math it's essentially four years salary right and we're going to be doing that three times a year three times a year with multiple growers right so, I mean, that's... And what that allows, the, you know, our producers like Francisco to do is that he's then able to kind of put that back into the local econ- economy by hiring out other help mm-hmm. to, you know, do some of the sorting and the bagging. Buying and better equipment. And right. Producing a better... And, 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 yeah, a better and product, crop. Yeah. And, then, yeah. Uh, and to expand and, and you know... 20 plus years in coffee growing in Buena Vista, like Francisco is incredibly well connected. And so, you know, what we're doing, you're right. Like what we're doing is, you know, one, one drop in a still pond and then the ripples just continue to, to come from that. Right. Like, you know, like the one guy that we went to see that was the, basically the nursery, you know, and so he's growing all of the, the, the two-year coffee trees that then... Isn't that where Walter got his plants? Yep, Walter got his from there, Jim got his from there, um, and it's a a Arabica variety called Kati Moor, which originally um, came from Rwanda in Central Africa, but it grows incredibly well in the foothills of the Andes, and so that's why Jim and Walter and Francisco all have that variety yeah. Uh, of coffee. Uh, so, you know, from from what we're doing, we're going to be able to impact, you know, that kind of that nursery grower's life. And Francisco is going to be able to hire out more help to uh, process his coffee that he's producing uh, and, you know, impact those lives within the community as well. And as more and more coffee growers 
you know, or more and more people within the region begin to see the value of growing coffee. Uh, ultimately, too, there's kind of a, a shift away from growing coca to, mm-hmm. you know, investing in coffee instead. And so, um, you know, like I said, the, the ripple effect of, of one single thing like this is astounding. And when you kind of take a 30,000 foot view and look at it, it's like, wow, it's a lot of impact. Um, just from being willing to go the extra steps to, to make the connection, make the relationship and, uh, and make it work. So, um, but it's not all roses, uh, as we learned in Bolivia. And, uh, <laughs> so you, you mentioned, um, really being happy with uh, Bolivian agri-trade and our friends down there. But, uh, the first meeting almost didn't go according to plan. Well, it didn't go according to plan, but it almost didn't happen at all. And Jim, you, if you're listening to this, we're not we're not going to throw you under the bus here. We're not mad at all. We're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not mad. But this was interesting. So why don't you share a little bit about okay. that that story? Because I know that you know that was your first time traveling with me. First time, <clears throat> kind of cutting a deal like this. And first and last. Yeah. So this is going to be a real <laughs> short series, and uh, we'll we'll hang the mic up and and say goodbye, but no, <laughs> bid farewell. Yes, um, no. So we had a so we had our meeting scheduled with Bolivian Agri Trade. Um, what was it? Two o'clock? Two thirty? Mm-hmm. I can't two remember. Um, two o'clock ish. If you're on Bolivian time, like it's. You know, there's about a 30-minute wiggle for any meeting that happens in South America. Yeah, it's, uh, their they're trains, they don't run on a schedule. Right. They, uh, they get there when they get there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, neither Matt nor I speak super fluent Spanish. So, we had Jim who, I mean, his, his Spanish is impeccable. I mean, it's perfect. Um, and, I mean, you would think that he's actually Bolivian, mm-hmm. but when you look at him and you hear him speak something other than Spanish, you're like, there's no way that man knows Spanish. That's true. The right. dude's like 6'5", and just a typical Midwestern, like he's got a deep booming he's got a cowboy's voice. He does. Yeah. But when he speaks Spanish, you would never know. Exactly. If you closed your eyes a 65 Midwestern cowboy is the last thing that you would imagine. Mhm. See. But um and Jim Jim has uh so Jim kind of operated as our uh, would you call it a liaison between us and some of the other connections, Walter and right? Um, no, that's a, as you were thinking about that. I mean, that, that was the word that came to mind was liaison. And you know, when we we travel for Beehive or Cisterna, you know, whether we have a good handle on the the language or not, we're hiring out interpreters because that's another way to help invest in local economy. Um, and so, Jim. Jim was more than just an interpreter, uh, and liaison is a perfect word because he 
he was making some serious connections for us. He set up the meeting with Mm -hmm. Agritrade. He set up the meeting with Walter. Yep. Um, I mean, and basically chauffeured us around Santa Cruz for a week and a half. Mm -hmm. So, but what is... What's, what is most accurate about Jim is that, and he will be the first to admit this because he talked about it multiple times, is that there's always a wildfire or what it will, a brush fire. A brush fire. There's always a brush fire to put out. Right. And as a farmer, you always have brush fires. You always have a cri- equipment breakdown. You always have people not show up for work. You have, you know, whatever the case may be, and you have to fill in the gap. Well... Jim was at his farm and called you. Mm-hmm. No, left you a voice message. Right. He left you. A, he sent you a voice message and said, "Hey, I'm uh, out here at the farm and uh, I'm not. Go- I'm not going to be back." Uh, or it didn't even reference the meeting at all. He just said, um, "I'm going to be out here for a little while doing this, that, and the other." and uh, I guess I'll see you guys about five o'clock for dinner. And you looked at me, and it didn't register to me at first, but you looked at me and you said, I guess he forgot about the meeting and we have to figure something out. So you, well, and we tried to call him, but he was at his farm, which, quick side note, because um, we're not throwing any shade at Jim at all. But, uh, like, he was doing... No, it's borderline comical now. Right. And he was was literally doing what we would want him to be doing. Like, as a coffee producer, he was tending the current harvest. Yep. That we, you know, we hope to be able to to buy from him and and bring in sometime in August or September. So, like, in in all seriousness, he was doing exactly what he needed to be doing because Mm -hmm. he had an equipment, piece of equipment, uh, you know, a deep pulper that that failed and he was trying to fix the problem and you know as we talked about in the processing episode like once harvest starts like the time you know the clock is ticking at that point yep you can't pause you can't stop what you're doing like once those cherries are harvested you got to handle it right away so he was doing exactly what we would want him to do as a really good coffee producer so Unpause, finish the story. So, I don't even remember where I was. He let us know that he was not going to be back for dinner. So you called, who did you call to get? I called Walter first. Um, What did Walter say? Because I never even asked you. Yeah, he said that, well, I I messaged Walter and I said, hey, Jim's not going to be able to make this meeting. And Walter... Also, Originally, he was supposed to go too, right? He was going to hopefully be there as well. So I thought, well, maybe Walter could give us a ride because uh, he knew where the, the office was. And so I, I messaged him, and he said, you know, something came up at work. He wasn't going to be able to, to help or be there as well. But he sent me the address. Um, in the meanwhile, in very pitiful, broken texting Spanish, I also messaged uh, Marcelo, who is our... <laughs> our agent and I told him you know please send the address for the meeting and you know lo siento we're going to be late uh and 
so between the two, we were able to get an address. And um, so I kind of walked back into your room and said, all right, let's get dressed. We're going to go. Let's go do this. Um, so we were staying at the campus mm-hmm. that day. So we walk out to the main street, out of the gate, out the gate of the, the um, campus there. And we start flagging down taxis. And the one that just so happened to stop, man, oh, man. I wish I would have taken a picture of that. Right. Um, it's, it's, exactly, it's exactly what you would picture a well, Bolivian taxi to be. That's a good description. You know, if, you, if you're listening and you go, I wonder what a South American cab looks like. Um, whatever image comes to mind is pretty much exactly what, what it was. There are some nice taxis around Santa Cruz. Very few. But they're very few and far between, and that's not the one that stopped for us today. So, yeah. <clears throat> so we were in the back of, uh, like, a hatchback. Hatchback Toyota. Uh, something. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, like, late 90s. Yeah. And here we go. We're, we're the shocks were solid. Like yeah. there's no, <laughs> you felt everything. And yeah. The only air conditioner you had was the window roll, rolled right. down. Um, but the cool thing about Santa Cruz that you know Jim pointed out was the way that the the city was designed. It looks like a spider web. So there's like these concentric circles that are kind of like the thoroughfares that kind of run around. And he was like, if you're ever on a curved road, you know that you're in one of the circles and it's going to make the connection to all the other spokes, really. So we were kind of one on one of the, the outer concentric circles, which is kind of where the main big traffic runs. Um, and, you know, I think we asked our driver several times, are you sure you know where we're going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got stuck in traffic. I'm messaging Marcelo again. Um, and so then our, our cab driver got to the right street, but dropped us off like three blocks down. Right. Well, I think he got tired of looking for the, the house number for the office. Uh, so yeah, he dropped us off and we had to kind of hoof it a couple of blocks to find the, the right office. But from there met Marcelo in person, uh, and the rest of his team, Mauricio and Jorge and... Um, I think we had a really good kind of introductory meeting. I think so too. And they were great. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't, <clears throat> I don't know. It didn't go how I expected, but I, I honestly, I, I don't know. I didn't know what to expect either. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause who imports coffee? Who, who is buying half, ha- a, ton? half a ton of coffee right. at a time? Yeah. So, um, well, and, and I think the other thing to take away from that that was, you know, a real value to that whole experience was that, particularly in Bolivia, I mean, and, and elsewhere in the world and in, in what we do with direct trade, uh, and as we've said, like, we focus on building relationships, but particularly in Bolivia, there is some value to who you know and the relationships that you build. Mm-hmm. And... We're seeing that play out more and more as we work to bring this coffee in because, you know, I just found out yesterday before we can move the coffee to Santa Cruz from Buena Vista, it has to be inspected again by the Bolivian kind of agro trade 
uh, not Bolivian AgroTrade, the export company, but by like, the Bolivian FDA. And so they're going to inspect Francisco's place. Well, while we were in Buena Vista, we had the opportunity to meet the local official that works as an adjunct to the mayor. And what was his title? He was uh, the director of agronomy or agricultural development. Director of agriculture development was his title. So, you know, just sitting down in his office for 15 minutes and shaking hands and saying who we are, what we're trying to do, and hopefully we'll keep doing this. Um, you know, I just... Well, and what I really liked was he and also um, Marcelo mm-hmm. and his guys, like, they said something in particular that really, that I really appreciated in our meeting, and that was that they liked working with Jim and Walter mm-hmm. because their values right. aligned with agro-trade. Yes, yeah. Um, which I, I was like, you know, that's... And, and they appreciated what we were doing, right. and they saw what we were doing and the value that's that is that's in there um in a in a country and in a system that can be plagued by corruption at at every level and kind of the under the table dealings um the other side of that is that there's an incredibly high value placed on businesses and individuals like ourselves that you know operate in a much Mm -hmm. higher moralistic sphere and that's you know what you're talking about is they're like your values, your morals, the way that you choose to do business, we appreciate more than the other guys. And so we want to work with you. Um, and so that kind of does pay off. I think that was what I expected going into that meeting. I expected them to be... Sharks and shysters. Not necessarily that, but they, they would be okay with... Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily being immoral, right? But being middle of the road, like yeah. just swimming in that gray area rationalization, right? right. right. And th- I think that's what I expected. So mm-hmm. whenever they said Jim's values align with our values, we enjoy working with Jim because of what he believes, and we want to work with you because we believe in what you're wanting to do, and like we appreciate the the effort that you're putting into mm-hmm. these communities, like that was super refreshing. Right. And I think, I, like I hadn't, I, well, and I don't think you were either. We, we weren't set on using them permanently. We were right. going to use them for this, uh, for this particular shipment, but it wasn't a solid, we're going to use you from here on out. But now, like after after our meeting and after dinner, was it Friday night? Right, right before we had to leave. Which, just to jump in, we, we have been recording these uh, on location. Um, unfortunately, Zach and I did have to come home. So we're, we're no longer in Bolivia, if you haven't picked up on that yet. But nope, uh, we're in Dublin today. Yeah, we're in Dublin, Georgia. We want to do a uh, shout-out uh, to Connection Church in Dublin, who is letting us use their facilities. Thanks, Buck. Um, super, super helpful. But, uh, in case you were trying to connect those dots, you didn't, 
you didn't miss anything. We were no longer there. But yeah, uh, we flew out on Friday night, but we were able to have dinner with Bolivian AgriTrade's team one more time. And what I think, not that this sealed the deal, but uh, the, the, the coffee, coffee shop, the coffee shop they took oh, us to. Man was unbelievable um so you and i had our minds made up that we were going to have dinner with them and then we were going to uh, ditch them i i mean well or at least be willing to shop around for other export is that what you're talking about no, 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 or just like no, we, when we like we would after have dinner, dinner well then we had to go to the airport we say our right? goodbyes right. but then before we go to the airport we were going to go back to the coffee shop that you and I found, right. um, Al- Alto, Alto Tostado. Tostado. Yeah. Um, but then they were like, no, we have to take you to this coffee shop around the corner. And we were both like, man, like we really like the other one. But and they were like, no, yes, you have to, you have to go here. And as soon as we walked in, it was amazing. It I- was, the atmosphere was great. The, I mean, they had, I mean everything. Everything that we talk about in our um, brewing or different brewing style right. episode, right, which is to which come. has yet to come yeah. out. Um, I mean, they had it. Right. They had the AeroPress. They had a pour. They had a great pour over set. They had. They had a Gina. I mean, they had everything. And the cool thing was the menu. You sat down and and it was like. Here are the four varieties that we're offering today, and here are the brewing styles. And you could choose, I want a Kalita Wave, or I want a Chemex, or I want a Gina, or um, I want an Air Press, or I want an Espresso. And and the barista, like, super knowledgeable and prepare it any way that you wanted. Um, so I think if you really, like, if we'd really pressed it, we could have said, yeah, I want, I want this... I want a Chemex, and I want you to use this, you know, coffee-to-water to ratio. I think we could have even been mm-hmm. that specific. No, yeah. Um, I, but, you know, in that situation... But, like, how many coffee shops have you been to here that put that much effort into making a cup of coffee? Uh, I probably could count them on one hand. Uh, I've been in another shop that I want to take you to in Chiang Mai, Thailand, called the Baristro on the Ping River, same same feet. concept yeah oh yeah and in fact like you could like they had an espresso bar in one side of the shop and then on the other side of the shop they have their pour over bar nice. and so like you go in and you go left for pour over or right for espresso and there's a specific barista just for uh the the pour over and so same thing you choose your variety you can tell them what grind size you want uh and he shows you every step of the process that's so, really cool um so this place that we went in Bolivia, definitely kind of reminiscent of Baristro Ping River. And uh, see, if I if we ever had a brick and mortar coffee shop, that's what I would want it mm-hmm. to be. It's tough because the the bar is really really high, but that's I agree that's that's kind of the only model that I would want to to go after. So um, so yeah, that we that really kind of sealed the deal for us with these guys. And, and then after that, we had to fly out and come home, uh, just kind of circle back to the final steps of, you know, supply chain stuff. Um, it's all still in process. We're still kind of working through some of the bureaucratic paperwork. 
uh, I was thinking about it as we were getting ready to record this, and I really wish that I had listened to the Rhythms episode again, just to remind myself, like, this is a lot like working in Kenya, you know, like, Mm -hmm. there were parts of this whole process that you saw me get a little bent out of shape about um, being down there and, and trying to do business the American way. T-Hobby. And yep, this is Bolivia, just like TIA, you know? And <laughs> so it was a hindsight reminder to me of like, you have to be willing to work within the rhythm and system of wherever you are mm-hmm. and kind of check some of your ego and well, check some of your Being emotions, adaptable. Right. And well, we lost our translator. Yep. And you know, there was no way that we could get through that Thankfully, yeah. technology allows us to be able to record a conversation and immediately translate, translate it to yeah. English. And Because my Spanish was okay, but before we go back, I'm really going to kind of beef up on business Spanish. Senior at Harris, I'm going to uh, yes. <laughs> come back to high school Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> Take a remedial class. So... Um, yeah, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. And uh, the next step, at least for this consignment, will be taking possession in Miami and bringing it to our roaster here in Middle Georgia. And um, we'll come back next week for another episode talking about roasting. I think it's time for a break. I would love a break. Let's do it. All right.